This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First Row Collectibles, if you're into nerd culture, if you're into sports memorabilia, if you're into wrestling memorabilia, please visit firstrow.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20 to receive 20% off. They got a ton of stuff from all the major sporting leagues, MMA, pro wrestling, old comic books, new comic books, signed memorabilia, you name it, they got it. Best thing is they ship worldwide. Even better, they update daily, so please visit them at firstrow.ca. If you're into video games and books, please visit bossfightbooks.com for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles like NBA. Jam, Red Dead Redemption, Resident Evil, and so many others. Everything you see on their websites available in paperback and ebook format. So please check them out at bossfightbooks.com. And if you want to support me directly, you can visit my merchandise store at tpublic.com or scroll down on today's device. It's embedded right there in the description. Click on that link. Takes you right to the merchandise store. I got everything from hoodies to t-shirts to travel mugs, phone cases, anything you need or want, it is there. But the easiest thing, the freest thing, the best thing to do to support the show is rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. Most specifically, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So this week's guest has competed in such promotions as the LFA, Bellator, and the UFC. He is currently an MMA instructor and the CEO of Ocho TV. Retired mixed martial artist, Stephen Ocho Peterson. Hey, thanks for having me on. No, thank you for being here today, my friend. How are you this fine afternoon slash evening? I'm doing well, man. Just, uh, you know, staying busy and, uh, you know, I'm a retired, uh, from competition, but you never retire from mixed martial arts. It's a, it's a lifestyle, man. I was just going to say, once you're in it, you're in it for life, right? Absolutely. <laughs> That's Okay, so before we get into anything, let's right off the bat, how did your journey into mixed martial arts start? Did you start with a specific discipline first, or was it all mixed martial arts f- from the start? Uh, I started with a lot of uh, trouble, street fighting, uh my mom didn't want me to do martial arts because uh, she thought it would make me violent. Oh. So, um, yeah, so I got into a lot of trouble as a kid and, uh, 
you know, it was just a stigma that, you know, the kid does uh, martial arts, he's going to learn how to hurt people. Sure. And, uh, so, you know, I got uh, picked on a lot as a kid. Uh, I grew up in Los Angeles and you know, I was a white boy. So got in fights out there. And then uh, mm-hmm. when I was 15, we moved to McKinney, Texas. And I got picked on because I was the wigger and I was the kid that dressed like, you know, I was black. And, right. You know, it was, I just didn't, didn't fit in. And uh, so I get picked on. And, you know, where I'm from, you talk shit, you get hit. That's what I lived by. Sure. So I got into a lot of fights in high school. And uh, when I was 17, I uh, had a, a club. We called it Friday Night Fights. And we would get together in my backyard. And, uh, oh, wow. We'd fight. We'd put on the the UFC gloves, the MMA yeah. gloves, uh, Century Combat with the fist pack. Yeah, yeah. Used to sell at the sporting goods stores. So we put those on, and basically no rules, no holds barred, and uh, you know, fight in the backyard. So uh, there was this one kid. He had some training, and uh, he would lock me up in a triangle and start elbowing me on top of the head, and I'd start bleeding everywhere. And then they'd, they'd stop the fight, and I. Like nah, that nah, that's gay. What what the hell is this guy doing? And uh, <laughs> so, uh, that that led me to to go train with him. And uh, he trained in a garage. It was a second chance gym in McKinney, mm-hmm. and I would train under Coach Garcia, his old school boxing coach. And uh, you know, he thought he knew MMA, but they, he he told me to squeeze him and pop him like a pimple and right. squeeze, you know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, a month later, I had my first amateur fight and uh, fell in love with the sport. It was since I've had, I've had quite the ride. But uh, 15 years later, uh, I you know, experienced in boxing, wrestling, jiu-jitsu, and Muay Thai. What's your favorite out of all of them? My favorite is whatever the other person's not good at. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was always like uh, take them more than a week. You know, if, if they're a good stand-up guy, then take right. them to the ground. Uh, if they're a good ground guy, then, then keep them standing. And, uh, you know, in the latter part of my career, I wanted to, uh, I really wanted to beat guys at their own game. So that, that's where I started, you know, challenging myself by, uh, you know, if it was a stand-up guy, I wanted to prove that I could uh, stand up with him. And, uh, you know, with the ground, same thing. I wanted to prove that I can uh, dominate him on the ground. So if they, that's what he's good at, then uh, then he has no chance if I can beat him where he's good. Was there any point in your early career where you thought of quitting MMA altogether? No, not early in my career. It was uh, it was that or jail or death. Really, it was. Uh, you know, I was getting into so much trouble at the time. It, it was the only thing that kept me uh, on the right path. And then uh, even with that, I was fucking wild, man. I was. You know, still getting in trouble with the law and whatnot, and then I had a son, and uh, uh, and that was like, nah, I got I got to be an example for this kid. I got to I got to you know be able to you know take up take care of the, the the young guy, and that was uh, yeah, it changed my life for sure. So, what's the thing you love the most about MMA, either in the sport or watching it? Uh, my favorite thing about MMA is uh, it brings everybody together. You don't even have to speak the same language. It's an international language of uh, of martial arts, and uh, you know you got you know Muslims and uh, and Jews on the same mat, you know, and and they they understand each other. They have a 
um, they might not you know agree on certain things you know white black yellow brown chinese uh it, the sport doesn't discriminate that is so true and that is one thing it's it is and now even with the usc going global even more and all that and it, it's crazy to see how it is like its own language like you, you know what i mean you don't need to know as soon as if you know what you're doing and you grapple up or you're in a fight or you're in training you know exactly what's going on mm-hmm. yeah and and you have a, a certain level of respect for you know, your, your training partners especially but uh, even your opponents as long as you know they abide by the, the code, you know, Bushido code, whatever, sure. whatever you want to call it. It's <laughs> there's a there's a code to combat, and uh, you know, you, you have that camaraderie amongst uh, you know enemies in the sport. No, of course. You started off. Your major promotion was with Bellator, correct? In 2010, I believe. Yeah, in 2010, I had uh, I think I fought for them twice early in my career. So how did all that come to be? And again, being early in your career, bright light, you know, at the time was probably the second biggest promotion out there. So uh, how was that feeling? It was, it was where I thought I belonged, you know, uh, and I won, I won my, my fight, first fight with them. And it was like, uh, I, I was going to be world champion. I was going to be UFC champion by the time I was 25. And I was, you know, dead set on that. And, uh, you know, I had a good manager, uh, Pierre Bertrand, I'm still good friends with. He uh, managed Joe Christopher back in the day, and he, you know, I was a young kid, and he would send yeah. me to go um, train with Joe. And Joe was fighting for Bellator at the time, so you know, it just made sense to bundle me in with Joe, and then uh, you know, that really uh, put me on on the, the spotlight. I don't want to say like launched my career. Uh, it threw me to the wolves. You know, I, I always wanted to be right. a champion when I was an amateur. I had to go win the belt. I won two belts as an amateur. And then when I was a pro, I was three and one when I won my first pro title. So local right. champion at three and one. So it was like, uh, I, I didn't understand the uh, the reason for um, rising slowly. I wanted to, I was in a hurry. You know, I wanted, I wanted to fight the best. I didn't care about how much I was getting paid when uh you know, I fought, you know, one of the best guys, uh, one of my, my toughest fights, I got 3,500 bucks. The guy was 16 to wow. one. So it was like, oh, uh, well, if I would have, you know, played my cards right, maybe I would have got like, you know, a couple hundred grand for that, for that fight, you know. But, uh, you know, I learned a lot from that experience. And uh, then I'm able to pass that knowledge on to you know, the young guys coming up because uh, I took the hard road and they don't have to. No, and that's smart. And obviously, promotions see this and take advantage of, like how you said, the respect, the code of wanting and always being there to fight. So they're able to lowball. Like obviously, that, that's the one topic always that comes up is always the pay structure in MMA. Obviously, right? So it's like it's good to see that the younger guys now are getting that sort of business aspect and knowledge from the older guys, like f- from from your instance, right? Absolutely, and uh, it's one of the reasons between behind starting the brand uh, Fight Fit Fight League. It's all about uh, putting the, the power in the fighter's hands. Uh, you wouldn't get paid to fight if you're not selling tickets, if you don't have fans and all that. So uh, just teaching them there's there's more to going in there and just brawling, you know, be a businessman about this. Learn how to uh, market yourself properly, get people that support you, and, uh, and you'll make money in this sport if you can put asses in the seats. Yeah, exactly. Because you are your own, 
you're 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 your merchandise. You're what's you're what you're trying to sell out there. Like you know what I mean. So you want people to know who you are, so you could go and show out, and then you you have that sort of on your resume to be like, hey, look, you better pay me because look how many people I put in the seats, and if I don't get paid, I walk. Exactly, and promoters, you know, the bigger promoters don't really like that kind of thing. Oh, of course, because they got to pay the fighters too much. Yeah, but I want to grow with these fighters. I want these fighters to to be fighting for the FFL when they're pros, and I want the FFL to be on the international stage, uh, you know, having shows all over the world and growing these fighters from the ground up when and they, they have no fans and, uh, you know, we teach them, hey, you make a shirt, your, your own walkout shirt with your face on it or your brand and you sell that to your fans and then your fans are going to wear that around. And then exactly. now, next thing you know, people are asking like, what, what, what's that about? Mm-hmm. And then you're getting more fans and uh, it's just about marketing yourself from the ground up and and giving people something to connect to to attach themselves to and it's only trying to be fair because like all the other other major sporting leagues i think the the cut is like 40 in between 40 and 60 percent depending the league and it's like in mma it's like what is it 10 to 90 and it's like well come on that's so ridiculous yeah yeah it's 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 sad but uh you know there's a reason for that because the the leagues are are machine they're a machine and, and fighters are a dime a dozen. They're, they're very expendable. Uh, so you got to be somebody that's not expendable to your fan base. If, if you sell $20,000 in tickets, then they're going to find you a, a, a opponent. You know, they're going to find you some guy and they're going to pay him enough because you're putting the money in their bank account to pay for your purse, to pay for your opponent's purse. And uh, as long as you do that, then you'll have opportunities and, uh, you know, you'll be able to make some money in the sport. No, it's so true. Because me, the, the one thing that got me into UFC was the, the characters, like the over-the-top people, like back in the day, like the, the Chuck Liddell's, the Tito Ortiz's, like, you know what I mean? And almost every pay-per-view had that sort of character on, not to say that they're characters, but that sort of personality is, is a better word, on like those sort of fights. Now there's better fights than there ever been technically, but no one watches because no one knows who these people are. And it's as if UFC wants to keep them down so they don't ask for more money. But at the same time, now you're hurting your bottom dollar because no one's watching because you have no stars. And all you do is try and bring back former stars like in McGregor and, and Rousey. Yeah, and uh, that, that brings up a great point. Uh, I don't want to say anything negative about the UFC. They treated me extremely oh, well. But uh, yeah, and they, and they still do. I, I have good uh, relationships with the UFC, but it's one of those things where uh, it, that's one of the reasons why I retired is, you know, I, I belong in the top 10. Uh, I belong at least on main card. I belong, uh, you know, I'm fighting these young cats and everybody's fucking dangerous, but uh, sure. it, it's, they, they do suppress your um, stardom for a lack of a better word, unless you, really just do something fucking crazy like mcgregor like he did a bunch of crazy crazy shit right and uh you know they, they're not gonna make you look like a star unless you um you know outspeak everybody else you gotta you gotta be more outspoken and i'm just uh too humble for that i i you know i have a code uh, like you know I, I live by by my code and i can't step outside of that but i feel like uh you know, if I would have been marketed more properly, it would have, uh, you know, changed things quite a bit. So 
that, that led to me starting Ocho TV, kind of um, you know, sharing my story, sharing what I'm about, and uh, also building up the artists that I manage and promote, uh, produce as well. So um, gives me a, a platform to really uh, you know show who I am and, and what these artists are about, what these fighters are about, and market them so that uh, you know, I can give them what I wish I had when I was fighting. Yeah, no doubt. And we'll get to Ocho TV for sure and, and all that that you're behind. But uh, the, the other big argument, you, you brought it up, Louis, like people putting themselves out there, like almost like shit talking just to shit talk and sort of that WWE aspect now that they're both under the same umbrella. It's like, that's the whole thing now. Is it better to be just a pure sport or is it better to have that entertainment? Or is there a sweet spot? I, I think I think the sweet spot is being real. Uh, early in my career, I was fucking walking out, cussing, like, walking out to sure. Eminem, going to sleep, <laughs> bitch, I motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. Young kid with ass on my chest, and that was the only tattoo I had. So I just, you know, uh, I was brash, I was uh, unpredictable, and then, uh, you know, just, just that was authentic. Uh, I broke somebody's arm in, in a legacy fight, Matt Hobar, and uh, I did this to the camera, and it was, it was, I was talking shit to the fans because they were crying about it, but then they, they made a whole big deal about it, and that was authentic. That was like real, um, you know, drama, drama for yeah. TV. It was great TV at the time, uh, but uh, yeah, guys want to play a, play a role and, and whatnot. Uh, I, I do play roles, but uh, I, I, do it in uh, a way that feels real to me. Uh, I have a character, Joe King. He comes out. He's the promoter. He's the one that he's going to get the fighters paid. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, Ocho, he's the dog. He's the unpredictable guy. And you're talking to Steven. Steven's the the, the good guy, the normal <laughs> the, the normal person for daily life. And, you know, I'm dad. I'm, I'm coach. So I have all these different roles that right. I do play. Uh but, but they're real. They're real to me. Yeah, exactly. And that's what it is, the authenticity. Because uh, the, the one that always pops up is like Chael Sonnen. He was authentic to me. And uh, now today's, you could tell, and I'm not going to say who's who, but people obviously know who watch the sport, who you could see they're trying to be that bad guy when they're really a good guy. And it's like, just embrace being that good guy and you'll still have your fans, right? Absolutely. Uh, but but the, shock, the shock and awe, that's, that's what people... The, the way the world is nowadays, uh, people just they relish in the in the in the darkness. So it's the the fake cringe, the walls they hate it, but they love to watch it. Yep, that's exactly it. Well put. Well, you brought up LFA Legacy FC. They ended up merging, becoming the LFA, and all that fun stuff. You were champ there. Was that your first major championship that you won? Um, I was the XKO champion, uh, and I, I'm still technically the XKO champion. I don't think they've replaced me. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Like 55 years later, 10 years later. It was 2013, I think, so 10 years later. Okay. And time goes by, man. It does. So, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm the XKO uh, Bantamweight champ, and then uh, became the LFA champion when... Uh, 2015, 2015, 16. So, yeah, that was that was the the first world champ that I was able to say world champion and feel good about it because uh, 
they they fly guys in from Brazil and whatnot, and I'd fight them. So if you're flying international, then uh, then you can be, you know, be known as a world champion. I think the the local leagues, you're the local champion. You're, you're the best around here, you're best in the DFW. So um, yeah, I you know, came up on in the DFW, and then uh, and then legacy was was world. They still call them regional uh, a regional league, but but that's crazy yeah Yeah, like you said like i don't consider like even like those type of leagues i don't if you're on pay-per-view if you're out there and like you said if you're flying internationally then no it shouldn't be like a regional like that doesn't make sense i guess because it's not as much money behind as like the major ones probably right yeah the major promotions are the you know four or five ufc bellator pfl PFL, and now those are one so yeah it's times there's another uh, you know major league to come up pop in the mix so we're, we're trying to be that but we, we also know that we're a ways from that so uh, we had eight shows uh, in our first year nice. uh, 2020 and we have 12 shows planned this year so um, one a month or two in certain months with certain months off so uh, we, we expect to to stay consistent and uh, you know continue to grow and you know, who knows the sky's the limit and you guys put out all weight classes, or do you just concentrate on a few? Yeah, we put on all weight classes in MMA and Muay Thai, uh, as well as uh, jiu-jitsu uh, super fights, so oh. submission grappling. Right. Uh, we, we do in a cage, and we also do a ter- tournament format that we're planning on rolling out this year. Oh, that's sweet. And do you combine the, the events, or do you just do like one strictly for Muay Thai and one for MMA? We, we combine them. Uh, nice. I think That's it great. brings the, the the fans of Muay Thai into MMA and, right. and vice versa. So they get to see the authenticity of a Muay Thai fight. And they're like, oh, this is different. This is different. I, I like this too. Or I might even like this more, but I've only heard of MMA because this guy's fighting. I'm watching him. Or they've heard of the UFC. Whereas, uh, you know, you, you combine them. They're like, whoa, this is a you know, jiu-jitsu super fight. Like, oh, these guys aren't hitting each other. And, uh, oh, this is interesting. Maybe I could try that. Stuff like that. Uh, whereas when you get the mainstream fans, they just want to see blood. They just want to see somebody like get hurt. And, uh, You're right. and I think our fan base is a lot more knowledgeable and a lot more, um, it was homegrown. It's homegrown. These guys are watching it. And, you know, somebody got hurt in my, one of my grappling events. Uh, and it, the, the room was silent. You could tell, like, people were, like, really concerned about him. So it was, uh, whereas... At some events, they don't give a fuck, man. True. You get knocked out, and it's oh yeah, like I understand the first initial reaction, but but then you know, then they're on to talking and whatnot, and that guy's getting hauled off on a stretcher. Like, like no, like you guys should actually care about what's going on in there, and then you'll you'll get more, uh, you know, you'll get more out of it if the fans are engaged with actual fights and not just. somebody bleeding or whatnot that right. it, it'll become more of a sport rather than a tobacco or whatever you want to call it it's a it's more than just a spectacle so what's the hardest thing in putting all these fights together and running a league <sighs> the whole damn thing <laughs> so, <laughs> i could imagine yeah. i know right I'd say the hardest thing for me uh, not work-wise would be like just watching the fighters that you want to see succeed whether they're from my gym or my students or, or if they're from another 
just just watching them fight each other. It's yeah. like, man, I I care about this kid. I, you know, I've talked to his mom and, and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's a, you 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 want them all to succeed, and uh, that's that's why I kind of teach them that it's more than just fighting. This is, uh, you know, you win or lose, you can still win in life. So, uh, yeah, just te- teaching them it's more than fighting is is how I mitigate that. But you know, watching some kid that you know you care about go out there and get hurt, it's it's not easy. No, I could only imagine. I could only imagine. Okay, now going back to your fights too. You said you were bantamweight champ, but then you fought in the UFC as featherweight. Why the transition? Started getting old, man. Uh, 15, <laughs> That's all it was. <laughs> Fifteen years of uh, mm. of cutting that much weight is uh, is taxing on your body, and uh, even even later in my career, making one forty five was tough. Uh, not because I was cutting a lot of weight; I was cutting less weight than I did when I would cut down to bantam weight. Mm. I would cut down to bantam weight, and I, I mean 30, 30 pounds in uh, a month, six weeks. But most of it was, it was 18 pounds in the last 24 hours. I would get myself to such a a stream condition that I could uh, put my body through that and then bounce back. And, uh, you know, doing that for years and years, uh, it really fucks you up, man. So then later in my career, just cutting 10 pounds to make 145, (laughs) it was like, fuck, man, I'm I'm cramping. And I was, I had never cramped cutting down to 135. But uh, you know, I you know put on dense muscle and, and worked on more explosive exercises and whatnot. But yeah, just uh, you know, the effects of uh, of doing this for years really started weighing on me, and uh, you know it it was costing me at the end, and I didn't want it to cost me my life uh, uh, cutting weight. I didn't want to be one of those guys die, dies cutting weight. You know what I mean? Sure, of course. Uh, so yeah, I had my had my son there, and I was like I realized man, shit I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to go up to 55 if i'm gonna keep doing this <laughs> so yeah if if if, if by god's grace uh, i get my uh i get to the point where i want to come back uh one my, my price is a million dollars and i'm gonna i'm not cutting weight you know what i'm saying so it's, it's gonna it's gonna i'm not i'm not dead set on coming back uh, i enjoy my life i enjoy uh, promoting, I enjoy coaching, I enjoy running my production. I can't do all this and fight. Uh, of course. So yeah, the, the, the price would be a million dollars, and uh, and I'm not cutting weight. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, again, speaking of cutting weight, you were on both ends. You've missed weight during a fight, and you've had an opponent miss weight. Now, just getting a fine. Do you think that's enough? What do you think? Like in a perfect world, would be a good thing or a good repercussion for when someone misses weight for a fight? I, I used to be like, if somebody missed weight, I would be so pissed off because like they, they don't know what I'm going through, right? And a exactly. lot of times you'd see their demeanor and be like, nah, this dude just, he wants to go drink right now. No, you got to suffer if you want to take this fight. And then, uh, you know, towards the end of my career, I, you know, legitimately medically was having issues to where it was like, all right, I'm either going to the hospital or I'm going to the scale. And uh, early in my career, I would have died. I would have been like, nah, I'm going to make weight or I'm going to be dead. Like, I'm going to make weight. And so so later in my career, I just had too much to live for. Um, and then, you know, with the, the effects it was having, I, I couldn't physically 
um, do it at certain certain points. Um, so, what do I think is fair? Uh, that's that's subjective. You know what I mean? Uh, when my opponent missed weight, he got I got twenty percent of his purse, okay. but then he got the win bonus. Right. That, that's what I'm so saying. I, I got nothing of his win bonus. See? So it should be twenty percent of the the full purse, not just the show money. Um, at at minimum, um, maybe take a point. Maybe take a point every round. Oh, uh, I like that. It, it's all subjective, you know. There, right. there should be some sort of uh, established penalty, but then people will start playing the game and they'll they'll take this penalty so uh, that they can get the knockout. That's true. <laughs> There's always going to be some some way to to work around it or to to play the game, use it to your advantage. So uh, maybe weight classes should be more or less like in a range. Maybe guys fight based off their height and, and reach, but then that that they yeah, messes that's with the way the sport is right now because that's kind of the fun behind it. It's, you know, this guy's taller and skinnier, but this guy's short and bulky. So right. you know, just keep it how it is, and uh, you know, maybe a little bit more on the fines. But uh, shit, I lost over a hundred grand in, in that Joanna Rosa fight just from missing weight. So uh, that sucks. <laughs> That sucks. So I fucking made weight the next time. Oh my <laughs> uh, god! Yeah. I had to make weight. I, I couldn't do that again, man. I, I didn't. I didn't cry about it, but I, Jeez. you know, I, I I went through it in in inside. You know, everybody's like, oh, "You're not mad? Like, I mean, it is what it is, bro. Like, what am I gonna do? Like, beat myself up? Losing a hundred grand is enough enough of beating me up. I don't need to beat myself up after that." That's a good point. Not kidding, right? <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> my, well, speaking of beating up, my friend, you have one of the greatest knockouts I've ever seen with the spinning back fist. One of my favorite all-time OG moves along with like the Superman punch, which you don't see that much anymore. Do you think it's because it's so, like you could see it coming a mile away now, so no one ever throws it anymore? Yeah, I think people uh, kind of lost the, the whole point of the Superman punch. You're supposed to fake a kick. Ah. So... Not getting him to bite on the kick, sure. but people were just you know they they lost the the whole point of it because it looks cool, it's explosive. Right? Uh, I used to run across the cage and Superman punched the guy every fight. Oh, my first probably ten fights until I fought uh, on Legacy Six, I believe it was. I I got clipped on the way in on oh. Superman punched, and then I ended up you know, taking a fight, but it was like man, like. Three seconds into the fight, I'm already clipped. It could have gone really bad. I could have been viral on the other end. So, uh, yeah, it's it's dangerous uh, unless you set it up right. So, same with the spinning back fist. It's very dangerous if you don't set it set it up right, as you saw with the with homeboy in in Mexico. Yeah, no kidding. And it's just crazy because again, it's so explosive and it comes like. As a fan, it looks like it's coming out of nowhere. And and like you said, you can't just lead with a spinning back fist. you got to feint or, like, in your case, jab or, or whatever it is to lead up into it. And just that pop and, oh, my God. And, like, majority of your wins are by submission and knockouts. Did you ever have a preference now that you're retired? Come on. you got to tell me. Did, going into a fight, like, do, do I want to get a knockout? Do I want to get a submission? Or was it just, again, like how you said, according to what the the other opponent was not good at? Yeah, uh, in that Mexico fight, I planned on getting a knockout. I didn't plan nice. on it being a spinning back fist. Okay. I was 
you know, I was like, I'm going to knock him out. I'm going to, I'm going to gauge him in the first round. I'm going to kind of like draw him in, make him overexert himself. I'm in Mexico city at alt- right. altitude. And, uh, and I took the fight on short notice. So oh, I flew to Mexico immediately to kind of get acclimated. And I, I was like, man, I can't, I can't fight my normal fight here. Like mm-hmm. if I go pace, 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 uh, I'm, I'm going to fall out. So I, I paced myself in the first round, kind of, you know, let him kind of tee off. And then the second round, uh, I was like, all right, I got my timing now. I got, I have my distance. And uh, then I started putting some heat on him. And then it just, the opportunity presented itself. But uh, normally I would go into a fight, like, I'm going to go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. And then the first opportunity, I would go submission attempt, or I'm going to knock you out. So I'd yeah. have, you know, uh, a high amount of submission attempts and a very high striking count. But uh, as I started getting more experienced, it was like, okay, well, let's make these shots count. Let's, uh, you know, let's have more more of an approach to the fight rather than just going out there and, uh, you know, just battering until until something presented itself. And both both styles are have worked for me really well. Uh, but you know, it's the difference between being a young bull and uh, you know. I'm more of a matador now because, because uh, shit, life you get you get slower as you get older. You, uh, of course, you, yeah. it's harder to get in shape. Harder to, you know, I'm, I'm not not old by any means, but I got miles on me. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I want to be able to, you know, see my kid off, you know, until until he's grown at least. So, uh, yeah, I just gotta I gotta slow down and. Uh, and then I'm, I'm much more efficient in, in this way. So, you know, if I could combine them both, then there, there'd be no limit. That's that's how I think life is about, like learning, learning what what you were good at back then and, and what you're good at. Um, you know how how you get better without, um, you know, just being reckless. So I'm still wild. I'm just not not reckless like I was. You know, I'll do a bunch of crazy shit. Sure. Um, but uh, you know. With it within a certain border, I still ride my motorcycle, but I, I don't ride it every day. When I ride it, it scares me to death. Oh, <laughs> as soon as it stops scaring me, then I put I gotta put it up. Yeah, no kidding, right? And that leads perfectly into you training and being still in the sport because again, you have not to say you have one foot in, one foot out, but you can still bestow your knowledge and you don't have to go a full one hundred percent where you are aching and have to heal up, right? Absolutely, and uh, you know I'm I'm able to. Uh, maintain what i've done like you look at uh pat militage is a perfect example right he comes back and uh you know he he's a fucking legend right everybody remembered him as a legend now everybody remembers him as the guy that fought mike jackson i know and the old guy that they came back when he was too old uh i I don't want to be that guy because then you're you're always it'll really mess with your head it'll really mess with your head this sport will uh just life in general, but this sport is uh, it's unforgiving. And if I go out there, uh, not only would it hurt me if I were to, to get hurt, it would hurt my students, it would hurt my family, my, my, my son. I have too many people that, that count on me, and uh, you know, it's, it's not worth worth it's not worth less than a million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I get with a million dollars if someone's listening. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I go in there and I fuck anybody up. But sure. is it worth rolling the dice one more time? I've never been finished in my career. I've, oh. I've never been defeated. Uh, I have one knockout loss where I 
I don't count it as a de- defeat. I was not finished. I was pushing the ref off. There was you know, one of those. who knows. He could have ran up and gave me that that finisher. Right. But uh, I don't accept that, and I've never been submitted. Uh, yeah. If that were to happen at this point, then now you're just like, I gotta get it. I gotta get it back. I gotta get it back. And uh, that's true. Yeah. See guys do that, and then you see them get knocked out three times in a year, and then uh, you know not only are they slurring their speech, but who knows how they're how their you know, real health is uh, is affected by that. So I've, I've gotten out of 15 years of fighting with relatively good health. So uh, and, and some, some good cognitive function. Um, I think I operate on a higher level than, uh, than most intellectuals that, you know, <laughs> sit at an office all day. Uh, I'm very functional. So uh, I'm, I'm happy to get out at this point and uh, you know, maintain that. No, that is so cool to hear. And, and it does suck to see when you sort of know when people are past or prime and they keep going and going and you're like, fuck, they keep hurting themselves. But then you have people on the flip side like Orlovsky who's going to be on another fight <laughs> coming up and he still looks like he has everything up there and he still looks like he's going strong. And it's like, man, it's, it, I guess it all depends. Your body type and your mentality? <laughs> mentality for sure. Uh, I think it has a lot to do with uh, recovery. Ah, you know, good point. Cutting edge uh, technology and just being able to, like, my balance is, is better than it was when I was 19. Sure. How many times have I been hitting the head since then? But <laughs> I, I focus on that stuff. Uh, my memory is maybe not what it was, but my reaction time is better. Right. So maybe I'm not focusing so much on memorizing things as I am on reacting and acting, and uh, my footwork's better. And, so my, my brain is functioning on a whole different plane than it was. Uh, whereas if you get knocked out and then you you lay lay around for two weeks like they tell you to, then you're gonna your brain's not working during that time. You should rest if you get knocked out a little bit, and then go right to uh, cognitive function exercises like catching a ball and right. memory and tracing things, balance and all that stuff. So just just the, the medicine, the science behind uh, sports medicine has advanced so much in mm-hmm. the you know past 20 years that, uh, that as long as you are able to recover, but you get knocked out three times in a year, then you, you might be beyond recovery. So I think that's a big part of it is uh, learning to take that time off and, and focus on actually physically recovering from that, not just getting it right back. I just jumping right back in there and living in denial. Now, if, okay, how about this? I know it's a what if question, but if you were one of those people in denial, do you think you would listen to your team if they said to stop or would you just be like, no, I'm going to keep on going? If I got knocked out, I would take six months off from sparring, from doing anything. And I didn't have to, you know, do that. I didn't get knocked out, but that would be my, that would, that would be my protocol. Okay. Um, you're not fighting in three months later. You're not getting back in the gym and, and sparring. That's if crazy. I got knocked out, then, mm-hmm. okay, well, it's time to, you know, go on a vacation and, uh, you know, live your life. Not Life's more than just fighting, man. It's more than just the sport. Uh, yeah, life's more important. 
Yeah, no kidding. Okay, now back to Ultra TV, like we mentioned, and we've been talking about throughout the show a little bit here and there. So how did all this idea come to be? When did you think that you wanted to have a network and why? Well, obviously Ultra because of your nickname, but how, what, how, okay, how about this? How did you get the nickname Ultra? When I was in high school, uh, I was number eight on the football team, oh, new dude. kid from LA. So some kid was pushing on me. Ocho, Ocho. <laughs> like, boom. So, you know, I started throwing bombs, and then all oh, that, that kid from LA, Ocho, he thinks he could fight. So that came into my career, and mm-hmm. I was Ocho, known for fighting. So I just uh, stuck with the nickname. And uh, then, you know, when, when I was the main event, Oh, Cho, oh, So, you know, turned a bad thing into a good thing. And uh, that's kind of how my whole career's gone, is turning bad things into good things. So, uh, yeah, uh, starting Ocho TV is uh, all about sharing the stories of the artists and fighters and myself. So I created Ocho TV as a production company. Oh, okay. We were producing uh, events for musicians which i planned on doing uh mma mm-hmm. uh but i was still fighting and there's a lot i, I wanted to do the steps properly so i, I did a, a big concert and we produced a documentary called this is art and uh i have little mini documentary docu series on um, a bunch of artists and so ocho tv is the platform where we can share that rather than you know counting on getting on Netflix or getting on, you know, uh, picked up. Ocho TV is my own platform that I can uh, at least build those series through. And then, you know, who knows, I I could sell them, sell them. But if I get, you know, thousands of views, hundreds of thousands of views on my own network, then now those, uh, those series are worth a lot more. So I built my own uh, documentary uh, called True Grit. The, the story of Ocho, and uh, that'll be up in May. So it's yeah. it's done and whatnot, but I got to go on you know the whole marketing platform <laughs> so people actually watch it. Um, so that that'll pop up in May, uh, and then I have the True Grit to the Rise of the Man of Steel, and that'll come out next year, twenty twenty five, and you know building building all those things. Uh, that's essentially what what Ocho TV is about, and. Uh, I want to share these artists and fighter stories, build them up, build their platform, market them so that the people will know what they're about and that people will pay attention when they're performing and they'll actually give a damn. No, sure. And that goes again back to caring about a fighter because I used to love like those Unleashed or whatever uh, documentaries used to come out with the fighters before a big fight. So you get to see what they went through in training camp and all that. I I, I miss that sort of stuff because now it's like, other than betting, why do I care about this, these two people in the cage? Like, you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Getting them emotionally invested into the fight. Mm -hmm. That when, when that fighter's bleeding, it's like, Oh my God, he's cut. Like, Oh no. Like, Oh man, I, I know his mom's going through it, or uh, and and not just from the UFC marketing standpoint. Uh, you you care like you actually know their story, why they got into fighting, like like you know just stuff like that. Little little uh, like cookie crumbs or uh, uh, the little little special things where you only know if you know. 
Exactly. If you know that fire, then, then you know what they're about. You know, the religion, you know, uh, you know where they grew up, all that stuff. So uh, now you got an L.A. fan base. you got a Texas fan base. So, you know, just, just building that engagement between the, the fighters and the fans, uh, I think that's important, uh, you know, just for the sport in general. Exactly. And so that these people have a uh, – they, they're going to be okay whether they're fighting or not. Uh, fighting is a means to an end, and if you care about that fighter, then you know after he gets knocked out, maybe you you know offer him an opportunity where he can you know be okay in between fights sure. rather than going into a dark hole and you know you <laughs> <laughs> whether you win or lose, you have broken ribs, you got you know torn ACL, and and nobody nobody sees what happens uh, when you go home and you know you're bedridden for for weeks after a fight. Uh, they they don't see the, the dark holes that fighters mm-hmm. go through, and they don't care. They just care about you know, like their bet. <laughs> I, mean, I lost so fifty grand on right? the fucker, and you just you know fuck all fuck all the fans. You know what I'm saying? It's so true. It's funny because uh, not to say that I was like that, but I didn't see that perspective where what happens after the fact when someone like loses until like I started listening to podcasts and listen to the fighters, and I can't remember who it was, but it was someone in the UFC said. No one knows the true tribulations until you get knocked the fuck out in your underwear and you're looking up at those bright lights. Because, like, think about that. Like, it's true. It's not only that you're fighting. You're in your underwear. You're out there. You're on national TV. Like, people don't put that into perspective. No, and the fans will scoff. They will will kick you while you're down, man. Oh, of course. So, yeah, like, yeah, just getting people to to kind of see that side of things. That's That's what it's about. Uh, you know, you'll see in my documentary for those that watch it that uh, I, when I had that knockout loss, I also uh, was, went through a divorce that year. Oh shit! So it was, uh, it was like got knocked out, and then wife having an affair, and oh. crazy chaos, fucking heartbreak, yeah. and then uh, and then the rise, and then you know, but people don't see don't. Don't, they don't see. They don't care what what you went through. Um, they just care if you're winning or losing. They're like, oh, well, you lost, so so now you're winning because you lost. <laughs> well, there's a lot. There's a lot of shit that happened in between there that made it to where you know, I had to I had to win or I was gonna kill somebody. Let's see, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, so going through something like that, um, you know, that'll make or break a man. And uh, you know, I'm blessed to have one <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly no kidding my friend no kidding okay and quickly b- before we wrap this up you mentioned you have other arts and other artists on ocho tv like musicians and stuff what type of music and what else can, can you can you find on ocho tv man all kinds of music uh so i i didn't like country music and then this okay. kid sat in front of me and he played his guitar right. and i was like dog you're gonna be a fucking star. Let's go. So <laughs> we got country artists. We got you know rappers, more uh, faith based rap, or okay. uh, otherwise. We got a tech uh, EDM house music uh, sure. guy on there. Uh, Kasky is one of our, our big artists. We did a mini uh, mini doc on, uh, and then fighters, boxers. Uh, we have pay per views uh, for the FFL for our roll-up series, for our True Grit series, and then uh, my personal documentary is going to be a three-part documentary. So, um, yeah, the first two parts are 
um, essentially done, uh, the first of which will be coming out May 29th of this year. So my birthday. There you go. It's yeah. a good birthday. I was like a party on my birthday, so <laughs> I throw events on my birthday now. So I like, you know, Smart. it's a party. <laughs> and every, it's not even about my birthday. It's about the event. So uh, that's when I get the most enjoyment. So, yeah, man, uh, OchoTV.net. Uh, that's the platform we're uh, in development of our app so that you'll be able to get it on Roku or uh, on your phone. But, uh, yeah, you can pull it up right now, OchoTV.net. And then uh, F3LEvents.com, Fight Fit Fighting League, F3LEvents.com. We're looking for competitors to sign up. Uh, yeah, we could always use more uh, a deeper roster to pull from. Right now we're doing a lot of local guys here in Texas, amateurs, and we've had a couple pro shows as well. So we're, we're looking to get more pros on our roster. That's why we haven't done more pro shows mm-hmm. is because we've got to develop the – the roster of pros so we can actually have a full show. And then uh, we got Muay Thai fights, uh, Jiu-Jitsu super fights, tournaments. Um, yeah, man, and we're looking to go to uh, California this year and have an event out there or a cross-promotion out there and here. And then uh, we got something planned internationally that I'm not going to speak on yet. But, there you go. Yeah. We're going international, man. Uh, whether it be this year or next year, uh, we're in talks. So uh, it's just a matter of time. We just got to put one foot in front of the other, and we're growing. And you know, we could use the the fan support uh, and our sponsors, man. Palm Soul, uh, so the solar company, a good friend of mine owns that one, who's also a musician. He's a nice. country singer. And then uh, Tequila Sheila. She's pretty dope. Hutch's Barbecue and Wolf of West Coast. Uh, those are some of our sponsors that really keep us going, man. So the sponsors really keep us going, and uh, right. we wish the best for them. They wish the best for us. Uh, it's the people that you support, those are the people that are going to make it. You're going to make it because you support some people. So uh, I support the fighters. The fighters support me and you know, keeps me going. So like guys like you doing this podcast, man, you guys – uh, help me share my uh, platform and, and my mission, and, and you know that gives me motivation and keeps me going. So I want to thank you as well. No, and I thank you. And I was just going to say it is a two-way street because you're providing me content, and at the same time, you get other people who've never heard about you or listened to you to check your shit out, right? So, like everything, I think to grow should always be a two-way street. Like it's never a one-man team, as they say, right? It should always be that way, man. Some people are just looking to get a quick buck. And then, that's true. And, and then that's all they get. You know, it's like, okay, that yeah, you hustle me, but I'm never going to work with you again. Yeah. And in the business, it, it, it really is that way, man. Uh, I've been fucked over about, but people's true colors are coming out, man. Like in this business world, sure. it's like, okay, well, you got me this time. Yeah. Yeah. But now me and my network aren't going to fuck with you because... Yeah, you're not good business. Uh, they say you shouldn't mix, uh, you know, friends and, and business, but I, I think you should treat your business like your friends. Like if you're doing business with a marketing company, like that. that marketing company should do well by you exactly. so that you can be successful and then they'll be successful in return. Uh, yeah, like if, if you're selling tickets, if you're a fighter and you're just looking to come fight for the platform and take your paycheck – 
but you're not bringing anything to the table, well, at least tell people you got a fight coming up. Help market your fight. Uh, it's a two-way street. You know, we're promoters, but we're not uh, we're not marketing you. We're we're marketing you for the brand. And if you don't sell tickets, then then what's the point? Then then I maybe you should get knocked out. So I, at least I can get some some use out of you. You know what I mean? <laughs> so if you sell tickets, then you know maybe maybe you're on the the highlights. You know, or just you know. Understanding the the business that you got to give before you can get you got to you got to put in the work uh, before you can reap the the reward and uh, you know just trying to teach these young cats that that's that's really how life is and uh, and people walk all over you so uh, so watch out for yourself and, and stay with stay with people that actually care about you. It's so true. My whole thing is no shortcut will will get you complete success. Like, like you said, it'll get you like that quick deal or whatever, but in the long run, it's, 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 it's not going to end well. Yeah. You're going to learn one way or another. <laughs> exactly. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for coming aboard. You plugged a lot of shit already, but do you, you want to plug any of your personal social media stuff, anything like that? Yeah. You can follow me on Instagram at eight. Uh, check out the website, ochotv.net. Eight Ocho O eight on um, Instagram, Ocho underscore TV on Instagram for Ocho TV and F three League on Instagram for the Fight Fit Fight League. So yeah, check us out. Uh, you won't be disappointed. Nice. And for myself, you can find me on X and Instagram under Finger Styles. You can follow the podcast on X, the podcast app. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast app at gmail.com or rewind to the top of the show. Support those fine sponsors because if it helps them, almost definitely helps me out. Rate, subscribe, review on all the major platforms, most importantly. And if you like what you heard today and this is the first time you listen to the show, please go back and listen to other former UFC fighters, such as Sam Stout, Patrick Cote, Dan Severin, and even the founder of the UFC himself, Campbell McLaren, amongst a ton of other guests. All right, my friend, one last question before I let you go. Now, what's the super fight you would want or the super fight that we never got to see? Super fights, as in like legends. Yes. Man, that's a good one. I'd want to see GSP and Khabib. Oh, the, the two that got out on top. The the only two that I know that did did the game right. You know what? You're right. And see see who who would come out on top in that fight. I know they're different weight classes, but Khabib's big. It would make sense to, to throw those guys in there, man. That they're both not undefeated, but uh, they both got out as the champions. So that would, that would be incredible. No, that would have. I, I my whole one was always GSP and Anderson Silva because again at that time right that's the fight that actually could have happened at one point but never did so that's why it's like oh i just wish that one could have gone down so he marred his his, his legacy he didn't go out the right way so yeah yeah what ifs what ifs as they say right what, yeah what what ifs man so yeah that, that'd be a good one i'd like to see that one i think it'd be cool awesome. i want to fight danis that motherfucker i'll smack it yeah <laughs> so that's my super fight I'll, I'll hop in there for a meal. Dylan, I ran into you in New York. Oh, shit. You're a punk bitch. I'll smack the shit out of you if you get in range. 
There you go. On that note, how can you end it better than that? He's Steven. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace.